I'm Carlo, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo, and this is my podcast. With this project, I want to explore the means, methods, tools, and examples of living on purpose, living the life we want, doing the things that light us up, things that make us feel like we're alive, growing, making a difference, and enjoying the process along the way. Welcome to It's the Journey. So hello, everybody, and welcome back to It's the Journey. I'm your host, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo, and welcome back to my return listeners, and thank you so much for anyone and everyone that's joining for the very first time. I super appreciate you all. I'm really excited about my next guest that's joining me, Stephen Finlay Archer. Uh, Stephen is a super interesting and intelligent guy who has a lifetime of great stories and wisdom to share. Stephen was born and raised in Canada, and later he moved to the United States to uh, continue his career as an engineer in the field of aerospace. During his career, he worked with NASA and the Navy to launch a network of communication and weather satellites. And what I think, what we want to talk about, one of the things we're going to talk about today is that during his career, inside of him, there was a writer, and he kept that he kept that piece of him alive all through his career and raising family. And, and when he finally arrived at, at retirement, he had this time and the space to listen to that, that thing that, that, that was inside of him. And now he's a published author with this huge number of works. And a big part of that is this series called the Irish clans. That's uh, Irish historical fiction that dive in, dives into the fascinating and interesting Irish history, as well as his own family's heritage, or his family's history and heritage. And um, I'm about halfway through the first book, which is called Searchers. And if you like fiction, you'll love it. If you like Irish history or you have Irish roots, you'll really love it. You can really, really feel Stephen's love for Ireland jumping off the pages. So check that out. Um, so with all that, let's dive into Stephen's journey and see what we can learn that will help you on your journey. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks very much, Carlo, for inviting me. I'm really happy to talk to you and your listeners. Absolutely. Uh, I was so excited to, uh, to when we kind of stumbled across each other on, uh, on LinkedIn, because I like, here's a guy that you're, you're kind of doing some of what's unfolding in my life with uh, changing, you know, going from one career that's very different. You know, I wasn't an engineer, but, you know, being in finance is very numbers oriented and fact oriented to a career of and uh, a, a, a new path that's about creativity and writing, um, as well as um, how you have been diving into a part of yourself and your family's history. Uh, my, my readers know that uh, the, my exploration of my Sicilian roots, the last chunk of my life has been a really gratifying and, and um, rewarding thing. So it was, it was fun to, to meet a, a kindred soul, even if you're from a different island. <laughs> well, one thing I want to dive into with you is that you know, you, you, you told me uh, when we spoke earlier this week, I was that, that, that through your career and working as an engineer, you kept that part of yourself alive as a writer through, through a hobby of, of writing. 
Um, and I'd like to kind of explore that and then how that ultimately transitioned to writing novels, several piles of novels, you know, in, in, later in your life for, for people that, you know, so many people have some aspect of themselves from their childhood or their youth that they've maybe buried a little bit. And then sometimes they, they never come back to it. So how did you keep that alive? And what was it like, you know, really, really letting that out? Oh, okay. Well, let me start with the fact that I was brought up in Canada, Toronto, um, and both of my parents were English teachers. So as a result, I didn't open my mouth at the dinner table for fear of being corrected. <laughs> um, so when I ended my high school career, um, I wanted to be an engineer, but I got a really good mark in English composition. I would have had a scholarship to go to college um, in English Lang and Lit. And I debated it, but in the end, I chose engineering, which I think was the right decision for me. Um, but it, that's kind of the background of I really enjoyed the poetry aspect of historical reviewing of, of literature, as well as the written um, novels and so forth. So during my career, my aerospace career, 35 years, I basically had very little time, you know, because I was managing large satellite projects, but I kept my um, literature uh, thoughts alive with writing poetry. So I've, I've wrote a lot of poetry. Uh, we go on a trip. I write a, I write a journal poem that might be six stanzas long, um, that kind of stuff, or wow. somebody retired and I write it, wrote a poem about him or, we go to Hawaii and I see a sunset and we write a poem about it. So I wrote a lot of poems. And, uh, and when I retired, um, which now is almost 20 years ago, um, I realized that I had to keep my brain active with something. I mean, golfing wasn't going to fulfill my destiny. So I decided I'd try that. I wanted to do three things. I wanted to learn how to play the piano. I wanted to be an artist like my grandfather in my novels, and I wanted to write a novel. So I took a course through Longridge Writers Group in Connecticut um, and took two courses, actually. Um, at the end of it, you were supposed to have written six chapters of your first novel. I had 96 chapters written. <laughs> um, and so that became the story of, of the Irish clans, or at least the first part of it. So I've really enjoyed, you know, this new career, um, really enjoy the writing and the historical research, not so good about editing and marketing, of course, is the is the real challenge. For sure. But, um, you know, but it, I do feel fulfilled to a certain extent, because I feel like I've come full circle back to my roots, um, especially since my grandfather and my mother and so on are in this novel. And, um, and I would think they're passed away now. I would think they might be looking down and saying, gee, you did a good job there. So I'm happy <laughs> with what I'm. I, I love that. Um, especially because, you know, I, I, Ireland, uh, the Irish culture has produced so many phenomenal writers. It's got to feel fun. That's that that's, you know, a piece of you and not only exploring the I Irish whole culture and history, but like that, that, that in itself is a specific piece. It's so there's so, so many great writers have come out of Ireland. 
that, yeah. that's a that's a piece of you that that that's the alive you know right well yeah i'm three quarters irish but of course i was i was born in canada but mm -hmm. uh, but we've been back to ireland three times and uh, i love it we're going back again next year so that's exciting and then what you so there's two aspects because like you know i have listeners that are you know in their teens and listeners that are in their 70s and so you know obviously people have different vantage points depending on where they are in life. And I'm, 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 I'm in the middle. So I'm like on the Hill looking in both directions. And as a financial planner, I've had clients on both, both sides. So um, one, a lot of young people go into one career or another, and you always have to make a choice. And when you, when you say yes to one thing, you're, you're forever or temporarily putting other things aside. Like when you became an engineer, you're, you're happy with the choice. Uh, and you got to do amazing things, but that meant setting this other part of yourself aside. And then people at the other end, you, you mentioned going into retirement and having goals. Um, I've, I've, as a professionally, and this isn't, this isn't, this podcast isn't about my profession, but I've seen so many times people get to retirement and sometimes they've forgotten those things and they don't know what to do because they're, their whole sense of identity got wrapped up in parenting and their career. And when they stopped doing those things, they didn't, all they had was golf or shopping or travel or whatever. And there's only so much of that you can do. Uh, so kudos to you for finding that and jumping in with both feet. Yeah. Well, I, thanks. I, I feel as if, you know, if, you know, let's say, only people that I know and my relatives and, you know, 5,000 other people read my novels, that'll be enough for me. It'd be great if it ends up as a series on Netflix, which the readers seem to think it ought to be. But if it doesn't, I'm okay with that because it, it's a fulfillment for me that I think is, was very important and filled a hole that I would have, felt remiss if I hadn't at least attacked it. So mm -hmm. by the way, I did not realize just how much effort and time it would take to do what I'm doing, um, you know, to write even just the seven novels of the Irish clans. Um, <clears throat> so it has certainly been a challenge to retirement which my wife fortunately is supportive but you know it takes a lot of our effort to to produce this so absolutely well just writing itself I'm, i've only written one book and it was a very personal memoir style book and that that was for me a tremendous effort as well and i'm curious because i'm i love i love history as well I'm, and i was i was kind of curious for for someone who did and i've i've like had ideas for historical fictions as well. And I, I get overwhelmed by the amount of research that I felt like I would want to do. Um, I'm interested in it, so I know I would, but then when I start thinking, like, I better really, really dive into this if I'm gonna write with credibility. So it'd be kind of interesting to hear what your, what your process is for that and the reading and studying and talking to people. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Um, so, it is really important because for people who like historical fiction, you only have to get one or two things wrong 
to basically um, turn the reader off and they'll go someplace else because they want authenticity. You know, they don't want, as far as the historical part of it, they, they don't want somebody just guessing and making mistakes and so on. So there is quite a bit of research required, um, you know, even to the point of the fictitious story where you have to figure out whether certain things were in existence at the time that you're writing about. You know, like if I'm talking about the, um, as, I, as I do in one of the novels, I'm talking about the Spanish flu in 1918 to 1920 that came out of the First World War. Um, as far as what they did about it, you have to do the research and make sure that whatever medication was there is what you're talking about and not something that wasn't in existence for another 10 years. Yeah. Um, so the other aspect of it is you do your research and then you say, okay, I've got this down pat. Now I'm going to write my fictitious story in the immersed in the history. And, and you do that. And then you get very, very cautious about reading more about that because you don't want to find out anything more that would possibly negate what you had written. So I have an example in my first book where um, I have this patriot who was exiled to the United States from Ireland in the 1870s. And he was part of the U.S. Um, infrastructure that was supporting getting ready for an Irish revolution. And he died and they brought him back to Ireland and had a burial at the Glasnevin Cemetery, which is one of the ones where the, all of the you know, heroes are. And they had a great eulogy for him, which was the purpose of it was to incite the population for revolution. Well, I didn't have all the details about how he got from United States to Ireland. I knew he had a wife and a daughter that came and so on. So I had certain information. So I wrote this fictitious part of the story that involved my fictitious characters. And about three months before the first book was going for publication, I happened upon another piece of information that had just been written because there's hundreds of books that got written about the Easter Rising in 1916 recently. And some of them talked about this stuff. So there was new information, which completely negated my fictitious story. Uh -huh. So I had to go back and rewrite, you know, three or four chapters because I couldn't, I couldn't, now that I knew what history was, I couldn't, right. <laughs> I couldn't negate it. So you do have to be careful about that. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that um, I have the historical figures in my novel because I'm immersing my characters in the Irish Revolution in the in this novel series. And so, you know, if you read my novels, you live through the revolution. Um, but I also have so I have fictitious characters doing historical things. But I also have historical characters doing fictitious things. And okay. you've got to be even more careful there because you have to make sure that you don't portray a historical person doing something that would be out of character to them. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Sean O'Casey is 
a famous playwright who wrote The Plough and the Stars and other famous plays in Ireland right after the Easter Rising time period. This first one. And he actually was a part of the revolutionary um, group until he found out they were going to be militant and not just having strikes and so forth. And then he backed away from it. Well, anyway, he's a major part of, part of my story. And he was a pacifist, right? You know, the pen is mightier than the sword. Well, I put him in a situation where he had to make a life and death decision to save somebody. And what's he going to do, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so it's just an example. But I mean, it, it's interesting because, you know, the fictitious story kind of grows and whatever and you bring these people into it and then you have to go back and check the history and you got to check their character so it's a lot of work but it but it's fun for me i really enjoy that part of it i bet and i bet especially so because it's it's a hundred a little over a hundred years ago you're not writing about you know charlemagne right <laughs> whereas you know 1200 years ago or whatever um i mean so these are people's grandparents in some instances you know, even even the, the u.s revolution was you know enough it was further away that it, sometimes the characters almost become you know fairy tale like in the way people understand them but with um that really became relevant to me on my last trip to ireland was on the walking tour that i did with uh the 1916 uh irish rebellion walking tour with lorcan collins uh, just how fresh that is how fresh it is i mean it's like it's, you know people's grandparents were doing this you know i mean um so from a his from writing about history standpoint it's even more it's even more relevant to think about those things and it's it's you know it's a credit to you that you uh, care enough about it the history and your readers to to do that work yeah well i think that anything that's 100 years old and certainly in ireland you know the revolution is fresh in everybody's mind still um i think that there's a lot of data i mean there's a lot written about it and it makes the research you know more complex fortunately we got the internet but the internet is like a double-edged sword you know you you can't rely on wikipedia you gotta check your sources so that's why we came back to ireland a couple of times and i you know i went and checked out certain things that i'd read about so Mm -hmm. um so i feel pretty confident about it but did you know about, i'm sorry yeah i'm sorry i said did you did you know a lot about this history before you really dove into this project or was this also you know a new learning process for you when you when you really dove into it professionally um well let me put it this way come being brought up in canada we got British history, you know, over and over and over again in and not that much of U.S. history, for example. I'm sure it's the opposite if you're brought up in the United States. Um, so I was pretty knowledgeable about, you know, how Britain had impacted Ireland and these kind of things. I didn't know all the details about the Easter Rising and what happened on day one or day two and where were they and so on. I had to look that up, but I, you know, I was pretty basically knowledgeable about how the British treated the Irish, similar to how they treated 
the people in the United States before we broke away from them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, that's that's been an interesting thing for me as I've as I've personally been able to dive more into different parts of European history is how you don't know, you you you've had the you know you grew up in Canada and now living in the U.S. for so long. Um, you've been able to see things, I guess, or, and learn what, how, how Americans see history just from living here. Um, but each country sort of learns their history through whatever they've, their country's decided is important for their people to understand. And that, that really shapes, it really shapes how we see the world. I mean, yeah. as, as much as I loved history, I, I learned the Irish rebellion happened. And it was during or in around World War One, and there was something to do with a German submarine, and that was about it. That, I mean, it was like it was just just this little. It felt like it was a paragraph in our history book that it happened. Um, but then, you know, when you when you when you start diving into it from a, from another country's perspective, you're like, this is fascinating. And so you, you're the work you're doing has opened that up for anyone that's that's curious about it and in a fun way. Yeah, I do think that um, through the storyline of what I'm providing in the Irish clans, um, you get a much more in-depth understanding of what pain and agony the Irish went through, not just during the revolution, but you know prior to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my storyline goes starts. Actually takes place between 1915 and 1923, which is the period of the revolution. It doesn't go as far as the troubles in the next generation, but it sets the stage for it. Um, but in reality, uh, the story itself, the fictitious story, goes back to the time of the clans. It goes back to the early uh, Irish saints. It goes back beyond that in seeking treasures that civilization has been looking for for centuries. Wow. So it's, it's kind of a combination of national treasure and, you know, you know, Outlander series and, and uh, Dan Brown novel. I mean, it's, that's the kind of flavor of what's in the, in this particular series. Uh-huh. Well, and it just happens like, to use, happens. I was going to say, just, it happens to use the Irish, revolution as the vehicle in which it's operating right no that's and that is you know if if someone i i encourage friends and people that anyone that'll listen that if you're going to go to another country do, try to try to understand a little bit more about its culture and background and history and some people love reading just pure history books yeah. um but this is a great way to to get a flavor for that if you're if you're not if you, if you don't want to read just a history book and you want to read it through 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 a story when you when you have a, a greater understanding of a country a country's culture and history you'll appreciate what you're seeing so much more i i think yeah i think you're right i think that uh there's a fellow by the name of delaney who wrote a book called ireland the novel and um, and it would be a really good book for people to to get um i have a copy over here i could show it to you on the screen if you wanted um and um 
and he writes it from the perspective of uh, Sinachi. Sinachi were the storytellers in Ireland that went around and to all the villages and um, nomads that had had the, the old stories of the Fianna and everything. And, um, and that's sort of died away now, but, uh, but Ireland's history is very much verbal, um, at least the ancient ones. So there's, there's not a lot written. There's the annals of this and annals of that written um, by monks in the 1600s or whatever, but, um, but the history is, is more obtuse if you go back, you know, 500 to 2000 years ago than other countries, I mean, other European countries. Mm -hmm. So it's actually, um, so, so this book by Delaney um, is, uh, is a young fellow following the Sinachi around was, to try to become one who goes to the various villages and hears all the stories of all the historical or mythological uh, history of Ireland. And then it's, it's really, a fascinating book so um i'd recommend it to your readers if they're interested in going back that far no that sounds great i'll i'll uh i'll put a note on that in the uh show notes so people if they're if, if you're listening and you're curious about that that way you can find that okay um and yeah and you mentioned like you know the the, the other thing that's interesting is like how i've read just a little bit about this but you're probably more more familiar than i am is this the the how how much of western knowledge was preserved by the irish during you know what's called the the middle ages or dark ages through the the in the monasteries and the monk by the monks um that you know when when most of europe's kings were illiterate because the 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 way things had gone but a lot of the ancient ancient books and works were preserved in irish monasteries that's correct. And uh, my part of my story takes place near Tralee, which is on the western side of Ireland. And um, there's a place called Ardfert that's near Tralee that had one of these monasteries. And in the early medieval times before the restoration, um, that was a there was a little, there's a little bay called Barrow Bay, and that used to be kind of a port. And all of the folks from Europe would come that wanted to, came to study at Ardford, where a lot of the, you know, um, religious and secular um, histories of the time were kept. And now Barrow Bay is just a little bay, and there's, you know, it's nothing there anymore. But wow. um, uh, so that was one of the of the monasteries. It was also uh, during the 13, early 1300s when the Knights Templar were um, disbanded uh, by, you know, by the King of France and the Pope um, rather painfully, I might add, in terms of, you know, burning people at the stake. Um, all of the major countries of the Western world were supposed to give up their Knights Templar folks. Um, but Ireland uh, escaped that. And so 
there are stories that say that the Knights Templar uh, made it to Scotland, to Roslyn and other places um, in time for the Battle of Bannockburn um, through Western Ireland. And ah. that they, they used those monastery locations as the travel path. So Artford was one of them and uh, Ballymote further up in Sligo was another one, which was another monastery. So, you know, there's all these stories and you don't know what's exactly true, but, but if you read my novels, it'll all come clearer to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it's, it's a, it's a fun way. Like if you're, if you're curious about history or curious about Ireland and if, especially, especially a lot of my, I'm in St. Louis and there's a big Irish population here, people, descendants of, it's Irish, Italians, and Germans. I feel like everybody's one, one of those or a mix of those. Right. <laughs> so if, them, yeah. was that? Or some combination there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so what a great way, that's a great way to kind of dive in and, and, and get a, get a deeper understanding for things that members of your family went through. And, and, and it also expands for me, you know, growing, I read somewhere, one of the differences between a European and American mindset is that, uh, Americans think a hundred years is a long time and Europeans think a hundred miles is a long distance. Yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, so uh, when you when I've been diving into, um, I've been mainly focused on Italian and Roman and Mediterranean history. But you know, you you go back a thousand years and fifteen hundred years and two thousand years, and it really expands. It expands your your idea of like of of so much that's happened on this earth, and there's you know civilizations that went back even further. So to think when you're thinking of your, of your own family and culture and heritage and blood that lived through some of those things, even if you don't know what they were doing, then it's still fascinating. And for me, it, I, I feel more attached to the history as I'm learning it thinking, you know, was, was one of my relatives like baking bread back then, or what, what were they doing? <laughs> what were they doing? <laughs> so, and speaking of which, like you're diving into like, as you, as you've, you've been learning this to write your books and study, but you've, you've actually kind of incorporated some of your, some things very personal to you into the story. If, uh, from your, from a family standpoint, if yeah, I, can. Some of I can do that. Um, I mentioned to you that I took this course correspondence course through the Longridge writers group. And the first thing they asked me to do at the very first moment was to write a 500 word essay about someone in my family who I respected. And I picked my grandfather who was, who came from Northern Ireland in 1909, which is just before this revolution. And he was an artist of some, you know, renown. And he became a newspaper man, like painting for newspapers in Toronto uh, for several years before he became an art, the art director at a Polytechnical Institute. And so I never met him. I, he died in 1939 and I was born in 1945. So, but I had just done a project uh, regarding all of his paintings to try to find as many and photograph them. So I, he was fresh in my mind. So I wrote a 500 word essay and the mentor I had said, that's nice, write a story about him. So I wrote a story called Warehouse Fires and that's the first chapter 
of the Canadian part of the Irish plans. At that point, I had no idea about writing a novel. And so um, I ended up um, switching from what was a short story course to, the, to a novel writing course. And, and all of this grew like Topsy so that um, my grandfather as a young man and, and my grandmother and my mother as a, as a one-year-old and my aunt as a two-year-old uh, are all part of the first novel. And so they become a really important part of the fictitious story as it goes through. The, because in the United States, there was this group called the Clan Nagale who had mostly been exiled from, uh, from Ireland and who had the resources from Irish Americans and uh, organizational skills to actually oversee and administer the revolution from afar. And, and so I'm able to tie in the Canadian roots back in through the American side over to Ireland again. That's so, so cool. you got to read the story if you want to hear it. But, <laughs> exactly. But it's not really a memoir, but it, there's some aspect of my family in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, what a, what a fun way to like dive into your, you know, just to, to a piece of yourself and your heritage to like, it's, it, they're not just completely, I mean, they're not just, they're, they're, it's a, your bloodline you're putting in there. And yeah. uh, like you said, like if, if uh, your grandparents or your parents are looking down and watching that, you know, they're certainly they're smiling at the, that, that you're remembering them and a, and a piece of that's there for your kids and grandkids. Yeah, they're probably looking down and saying, I didn't do that. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, my, my characters are married in the church that I was brought up in, you know, things like that. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so neat. That's so neat. So, uh, so your, your grandfather came over 11 years before my grandfather did. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I would, sometimes you think about it when you, when you know specifically certain things in your like family's timeline, then when you learn other things in history, it, it's easier to kind of like chunk for me, like chunk the memories of like, Oh, okay. This, right. these things were going on when grandpa did this or that, you know? Right. So I was, uh, I was thinking your listeners might be interested in a bit of uh, back background of the marketing side of what i'm doing yeah yeah okay absolutely so when i finished the first novel in the 2016 um i had a plan to market it i was starting with social media not really thrilled with it but okay and and um my novel uses a pub in dublin as um, it's an important part of the story. It's called the Temple Bar Pub. It's a big red pub and Temple Bar. Some of your readers may have been there. Uh-huh. And uh, so I got the owner to agree, and I ended up having my book launch in in Ireland at the time of the 100-year celebration of the um, Easter Rising. And, um, and I thought... When I went over there, I've got this great book, these books that are coming out right about the, like third book is the Easter Rising called Rising. They're going to love it when I get here. I mean, I, this is great. I'm in Ireland. Everybody reads, you know, there's a bookstore in every corner. Yeah. Um, 
I'm, you know, this is going to be great. Okay, I get over there, and it's great because I have my, you know, my talk at the at the uh, pub. And uh, but I noticed that when you went to all the bookstores, there were like hundreds of books in the window about the Easter Rising and stuff. And I go, is anybody going to be interested in mine? Because I mean, there are all these books that were written. Okay, so then I I went into the bookstores and I said, you know, hey, I've got this great book. Is it possible that you could put it on your bookshelves? Oh well, no, maybe, but it's got to go through this company. There's this marketing company in Ireland that controls access to all these bookstores. And I went to there and I talked to them about it and they said, well, we're not really interested in, in books that are written in the States. And I said, well, why is that? It doesn't, they said, well, the distribution costs are much too high. So as a result, um, you know, I really didn't find any market penetration over there. Um, except for word of mouth and whatever. But, you know, it cost me about $25 to send a book to the UK. I mean, if you go and order one from Amazon UK, they print it over there. But if somebody's buying it from me, it costs 22 bucks or something. Right. Whereas I can send anything in, in the continental United States, media mail for $3. So. Um, so the, there's all of those kind of things you have to think about if you have an international marketplace. Um, but the um, after after spending a fair bit of effort for the first year or so after the first book came out and after the second book came out, um, you know, going to various conferences and so on, um, I wasn't really making any headway. I mean, it's great you're meeting a lot of people. You, talk to a lot of people it's very interesting that, that are you know in the business um but it wasn't really helping sales at all so my wife said to me why don't you um why don't you not spend all this effort on the marketing and rather finish the novels and then when you have the series completed then see how you can market it so for the next two years that's what i did so now five of the seven novels are completed. The sixth one is in editing and the seventh one is almost finished writing. Wow. But I ended up um, connecting with a publicist through LinkedIn um, about six months ago. And she said, no, that's not a good idea. If you want to get national recognition, you need to start now. You should have started with the first book, you know, at, at a national level. And, um, and so I, you know, I really need you to build up your social media presence and, you know, we need to, you know, be a lot more proactive. So I'm doing that now and I'm seeing the results of that. I mean, I've connected with you, for example, which is great through yeah. um, LinkedIn. And, um, and so one piece of advice I'd have for your readers, if they're writing, is not to postpone, even though it may be painful, don't postpone the marketing aspects of your work um, uh, until you know everything is all complete. And uh, and I'm just hoping that you know it'll work out for me too. But uh, it's still a work in process, so to speak. 
Sure. No, that's, that was uh, reassuring even for me <laughs> to hear because I, I did the same thing. I, I've only written one book and I'm, I've just finished an outline for another one. And it's not a series I'm writing, you know, I'm writing nonfiction, but I was, I was hesitant to even talk about the first one before I finished it because I, I wasn't sure I could finish it. Like, I never written a book before. And then it was, it was kind of a scary thing for me even to say out loud, I'm writing a book. I really didn't tell very many people because it was, it felt very personal and private and vulnerable uh, to do so. And even after it was finished, it took me a little while to get comfortable saying, I guess I'm, I guess I'm an author. (laughs) And so, and then to then to start start blasting that out to the world is even (laughs) <laughs> even the next step beyond that so um it, it makes me feel good to hear hear that coming from you as as well um and then your experience with bookstores i think is important also for for people to hear i've had i haven't tried as much with bookstores i've tried a little bit but the some of my early you know efforts you know it's like well i'm not a known author no one was waiting for the no one was waiting for the new San Filippo book to come out. So the bookstores that have limited shelf space were like, nah. <laughs> so I think, um, but then I, every now and then I would get, and so I've been, I've been focusing on, you know, Amazon sales and things like that. And sometimes people that didn't know any better might say, well, you know, you really should be in bookstores. I'm like, well, the bookstores also have to want to put you in there. <laughs> so it's like a, a chicken and the egg thing. Like there has to be demand. Like you could go, you could call the book and at bookstore and ask them. Uh, so it's, you know, to, to, sometimes people put, I think too much pressure on authors to like say, well, you should sell it in the bookstore. It's, you know, it's up to the bookstore to, to, to do that. So they have, there has to be the demand first and then they'll happily make shelf space, you know? Yeah. So I, I've done book signings and various bookstores <coughs> that are, you know, within 200 miles of where I live, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do that very often, but I do that. And they'll take the books and quite often they'll sell the ones and ask for a few more. But if it doesn't sell, they want you to take them back. I mean, they're, they're, they're a perishable project, product on their, book, on their shelves. And so um, it's a lot of effort. I remember going to one you know, book signing near Sacramento in a really nice bookstore and they were really positive. They read the books and they thought this was great. And I showed up with, you know, food and drink and, and it did it on a Friday night when everybody's out at the mall or whatever. And I don't know, I think I sold three books, you know, so it's like, okay, I made five bucks and I had $80 worth of food. So, you know, you, you run the risk of that happening. And, uh, it's all a matter, you know, how most writers are, I think, at least I am, are introverted. I mean, that's, they, they do their thing. And they're not necessarily people who feel comfortable with, you know, hawking their stuff. And, and I'm that way. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with it, too. I think it should stand on its own. And if word of mouth gets out and people love it, then, then that's great. You know, but I'm not exactly. going to go and shout it on the corners of... I'm not going to go out with them all in my pockets and say, you know, here's, I've got them in my, I've got 12 in my trunk if you need one, you know. Exactly. Like, psst, hey, come over here. 
<laughs> After you buy your girl guide cookies, can you come over to my the trunk of my car, please? Exactly. I know, and it's it's different. You know, like uh, you know that, and that's yeah. Every, everyone and every, and every book's different. Every story is different. Every purpose, and you know, it, so yeah. Uh, it, and like you said, at the end of the day, you're doing it. It's bringing you joy. Uh, if you said a five thousand of your friends and people love it and whatever great and then yeah. if a million people love it one day even better <laughs> yeah yeah i mean the, the readers say you know this is really episodic it ought to be on netflix i mean it you know if they did it the same kind of job on this as they did on outlander you know it'd be a big hit you know make it into a big production but you know yeah okay it's a great story and people love it and they like the characters and they feel because they like the characters that then they learn the history because the characters are immersed in the history. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that makes me feel good. I mean, one of the reasons that I chose the Irish revolution, other than being Irish, is that, you know, they went through the same thing that we did 150 years later from the mm -hmm. same oppressive, you know, overseer. And, um, and by bringing that, to life again um, may get some folks in our country to think again about how important our constitution is and how much our forefathers had to fight to create what we have. So mm -hmm. it, I'm not, I'm certainly not a political animal, nor do I try to be so either way, but, um, but I think it's important for us to remember our roots. And that, that's why if you don't remember history, you're just going to relive it. So Absolutely. Well, I think one of the things that I looked into because of all of this is I looked at the growth of civilization over time and how there were like a billion people on the earth when fossil fuels were found in the late 1800s. Now we got 6.4 or whatever billion going to 9 billion in 10 years. And if you also look at technology and how technology has evolved and is ex exponentially growing, and I wonder about our ability to understand it and its impact on society because it just becomes, you know, pervasive. Um, but I also looked at the evolution of civilizations. Um, and if you look, I'll leave the the Chinese out for a minute, they're kind of a unique environment. But if you look at the, <clears throat> at the um, Egyptian civilization, it was like a 3000 year cycle. Then the Greek was about 1500. Then the Romans were about 900. The British empire with all the colonialism of the British empire is like 500. And here we are at 273 or whatever we're at. <laughs> Mm -hmm. It would appear as though the empirically, it would appear at 50,000 foot level, it would appear as if um, the longevity of civilizations is dwindling as the number of people on the earth and as the technology for war fighting and whatever is advancing. So the question is, how do you prolong or maintain a civilization that wants to go through this, you know, cycle of, you know, being righteous and freedom loving and 
to the downside of you know being more concerned about themselves and so um i don't know the answer to it but i kind of am interested in that aspect of history as well mm -hmm. we need a time to sh I, I there's a lot of things like that that like if i had a time machine i could figure out some of these things and just curious well you know you look at um some countries like uh austria that were this the giant empire for for a long long time and now you go to like in, you go to Vienna is this once the capital of this massive 60 million person empire. And they're just like happy. They're just settled in and like, we're just going to enjoy life now. <laughs> like, you know, and the, the Italians did that after the fall of Rome, eventually things settled down and the Renaissance happened there. And, you know, there's art, all these wonderful things like, you know, maybe uh, if, if there's a, is a post post America dominance, will we fall into a, more reflective artistic side again <laughs> like some of the other countries i don't know i mean it, you, you know that 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 europe as you discussed earlier mentioned earlier um you know its level of technology and uh, everything government everything you know dropped drastically after the huns moved in for a thousand years and you know these things can happen. I mean, uh, the Romans were a very powerful organization, country, and had you know advances technologically and and militarily over the rest of the world. And yet, you know, they let down their guard, and that was the end of them. So mm -hmm. yeah, no, no, <laughs> nothing, nothing lasts forever. So. <laughs> So let's go back to, to the uh, some of the other things you're doing. Uh, one of the things you mentioned to me, Stephen, was that you started a blog, and let's uh, let's dive into that a little bit so people can can uh, learn what that's about and and where to find it and and that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. I'm glad to do that, Carlos. Um, one of the interesting aspects of writing historical fiction is having an editor that actually is interested in history. So. In my case, um, I have ended up with uh, an editor who is tolerant of history, but is more interested in, you know, the storyline of the fiction, fictional story and the character development, scene development sort of thing. So I came to a compromise where I put... Um, the necessary historical information in the novel, you know, for the storyline, for immersing the characters in the history and so on. But some of the extra historical information I put in the back as a historical background. So each of my novels has a long list of characters and whether they are historical or fictional and, and a historical background as well. Um, that kind of led to the fact that maybe I should have a blog of um, historical information, nothing to do with my writing, nothing, no selling of anything, just for people that are interested in Ireland and what the history is, some of the interesting aspects of it. So I started a blog that I've done 13 weeks of it. I do one every week and it's, um, it'll go back to the beginning of the history or mythology at some point as we go forward. But I've also talked about the lead up to the Easter Rising and some things like gun running and you know that sort of thing. 
And so um, I'm getting some really positive feedback from that. And, uh, and so I think I'll keep doing it. And so I have it in my website every week, uh, which is stephenfinleyarcher.com. Um, I also have like a subscriber list. That's the thing that your readers should be doing too. Okay. You know, as you get more readers and as people show interest, even if they haven't bought the book yet, if you can get their email address, I mean, ask them and get it on a subscriber list. I use MailChimp then you have a vehicle by which you can communicate with them. And so now I'm communicating with them every week with the blog as well there. And then because my publicist had recommended that I emphasize uh, LinkedIn and Twitter as social media platforms, um, I also have a reference and connection and the picture of what I'm talking about um, in those platforms every week that lead my readers to my website to see the whole whole, whole blog so you know it kind of goes full circle because at the bottom of the blog is the only time i market anything where it says if you're interested in my books you can go to amazon.com to my author profile so it it's been very helpful i think um uh, for me, and certainly I'm getting, you know, feedback from re from readers or from people interested in Irish. I mean, there's 39 million Irish Americans who have some level of Irish in them. Um, and I'm getting starting to get really good feedback that they're enjoying the blogs and what would like me to continue them. So I've, I've written down a series of 60 of them, you know, all laid out for doing them in order. And uh, I'm putting them out every week. <laughs> That's awesome. You're, you're a busy guy. I want to ask you because for, for, for myself, anyone that might be interested, how do you, how do you, um, <clears throat> so you're you delegate or I guess, um, how do I phrase this? I have, I have trouble multitasking. Yeah. I'm having trouble asking the question. So you're, 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 you're you have the, I know there's, there's, there's a, there's a rhyming of what you're writing about, but You've got one that's focused just on history and you just have some things you want to talk about. And then, and then you have to switch gears and get into writing your, your historical fiction. Like when I, when I was, when I was writing, I felt like I just had to like really block off a lot of pieces of my life and, and carve out time to do that. And now I'm trying to write this other book and I'm having trouble sometimes going back and forth between the writing and stuff I have to do for my podcast and the show notes and things like that. I'm having trouble sometimes finding the time or energy to, to just to switch gears. And you're um, still working as a financial planner too. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. For six more months. So maybe that'll help. Not, not to mention <laughs> having a family, right? So that's true. <laughs> give yourself a break. there. Okay. Um, so in my case, um, and this probably gets back to the discussion about um, second careers and retiring and so on, um, that, you know, you've got a family to be with who are really interested in you being in retirement and doing the things that they would like to do. So in my case, my wife has been very supportive and in some cases tolerant of my writing and all of the marketing and everything. So you do really have to compartmentalize your time, uh, at least I do, to make sure that I'm 
have minimum impact to my real life. And so fortunately I get up early and my wife, unless she has to, does not. So my time and my brain is more active early in the morning. So, uh, or middle of the night, actually, if I think about something. So that's when I tend to do this work. And um, I do still, and I used to have to multiplex a lot, you know, running a satellite program. Um, As you get older, your ability to do that declines uh, to some extent. And uh, so I do have to be very careful because with writing the blog, with the other marketing aspects, the social media aspects of it, trying to build up, you know, followings. And with the editing that I'm still doing um, and responding to the publicist for reviews and now some interviews, which thank you very much. Um, But, and then writing the rest of the last novel, um, it is hard to switch gears to do that. And what I found is that you the writing part or the research and writing part for me somebody else might might love the editing i don't know but but let's say for me i do that first in the morning because if i do the other stuff that i'm not so interested in um you can sort of lose your creativity for another day so it's better to do the creative stuff first and then then the you know the other stuff so that's, that's great. Just, that's just how advice. I do it. So. Yeah, that's great advice. It's it rhymed. It, I, I took a I took a entrepreneurial class years ago, and the guy talked about like focusing, having focused days or focused time when you're doing the specific things, like where you that you're best at and 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 require the most creativity, and keeping what he called buffer activities on separate days, where like that's where like maybe you're doing accounting or social media stuff or whatever that that aren't the core thing that you're that you need the most energy to do so that's great advice and reinforces that yeah so well steven this has been fantastic uh i super i super appreciate you taking time to talk with us today and share your stories and i i think it's you've got so much wisdom and and things to share for people at various points in their life that whether you're getting ready to retire this should be motivational and exciting of like wow i can have this whole other career and thing or you know it, people that are at the beginning of their, their 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 careers and lives to know that you know life can have many chapters so to speak you know so i appreciate well, you sharing that you're very welcome it's been great for me to talk to you too so i appreciate it yeah so i hope everybody goes and checks out uh the irish clans on uh, amazon.com and uh, I'll put all the, I'll put all the information in the show notes to where to find Steven and how to get in touch with him and how to follow him on his, uh, his blog and sign up for that. Um, especially again, yeah, there's St. Louis here. There's, I don't know, thousands of Irish, you know, people that are proud of their Irish heritage. So you, uh, you can learn a little bit about yourself and your family along the way. So thank you, Steven. Thank you. Carlos. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. All right. Have a good day. Okay, everybody, as I'm so fond of saying, that is a wrap for my episode with Stephen Finlay Archer. I really enjoyed that, and I certainly hope you did too. 
Um, Steven is a great guy, super smart, full of fun stories, and he's got a life um, and a pattern in his life that I think is so inspiring and helpful for, for anyone out there that wants to, to keep some passions alive and dreams alive and follow and follow, you know, what's in their heart. Um, several things I pulled from that, that I admire about Steven. Um, one, like I said, keeping, keeping his dream and passion alive about writing, um, through the whole, his whole life as as an engineer and that career and raising a family and all the things that he did in, in his life, um, just kept that alive as a hobby and, and writing, writing poems and giving them away as gifts. What a, what a beautiful way to share, to share that piece of him memorializing things and, um, and, and giving that away. What a, what a beautiful thing. And that kept that piece of him alive all those years so that when he got to retirement, he could dive into it more fully and, um, and continue something that I'm super passionate about. And that's being a lifelong learner. Uh, he says he's been retired for 20 years and in the 20 years he's learned how to write novels. He's learned how to do the research for, for, for the stories that he's doing. And you can tell from our conversation, I'm certain we just scratched the surface on, on what Stephen knows um, about Irish history and world history, just bright, super smart guy. And that's just, that's so fun. Um, I can't tell you as I've pursued things in my life, how many times people in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, who've said, well, I wish I could do that, but I'm too old or it's too late. It's too late to learn this. It's too late to learn an instrument. It's too late to, to learn a language. It's too, whatever it might be, you know, listen to Steven. He's like, I said, well, I still want to learn the, learn the piano. Maybe I'll do that. And he's learning how to do social media right now. He's learning how to market books on top of having learned how to write books and all that kind of stuff. So that's amazing. Uh, and the other thing, just something I, I touched upon in, uh, afterlife is the importance of having the right tribe in your life. He mentioned, uh, several times the support and, um, understanding he gets from his, his family and his wife and, and the things that he's doing and that, that this is a piece of his life in retirement. And without that, it would be difficult if not impossible. So having the right tribe and the right people in our lives that love us, support us and encourage us and don't pigeonhole us, pigeonhole us into whatever we were and allow us to um, blossom and, and become what, what we, what we want to over the course of our lifetime. So I'm so grateful for Stephen. I'm so grateful that he came on and talked with us and, and shared, shared his stories, um, spoke with us, I should say. And I hope you will go to stephenfinleyarcher.com. That's, and um, I'll have that. I'll have that in the show notes. It's Stephen with a P H and F I N L A Y Archer. Uh, check out his 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 Irish historical fiction novel series, The Irish Clan. Uh, start with the first one, Searcher. You can find Stephen on LinkedIn. You can find him on Twitter. If you go again to, on his website, you can find and sign up for his blog, which is if you're if you're if 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 you want to add on to what you're learning in his books, that's a great place to do it. If you're not into fiction, that's a great way to like just dive in and learn all about Irish history. Um, and I I especially encourage anyone that if if that's part of your heritage or you just like history, or you're taking a vacation over there, try your best to learn more about what you're looking at. It'll, 
it'll give it'll give what you're seeing so much more meaning. And then when you meet locals and you talk to them, you'll be able to ask better questions, and they'll appreciate that you care enough to even to, to care enough to be curious. Um, and they, they won't say, "Well, that's a dumb question." So, I highly recommend his books and his blog for for deepening your um, your understanding and appreciation for that rich, beautiful Irish history, culture, and heritage. And yeah, so check it out and you'll enjoy, enjoy his books as well. So that's what I got for today. This is the first of two parts. Um, I'm kind of switching things up a little bit. Last, I've been doing kind of the short episode first. Um, just uh, for this for this time, I'm, I'm going to put that one second. So you, you'll, you'll have heard Stephen's whole story. You'll know a little bit about him. And I posed some real, a very specific question to him. Uh, and I'll release that one a little bit later this week. So uh, as always, thank you for listening. Again, if you're new, thank you for joining me. Uh, you can like and subscribe and listen to this podcast anywhere you enjoy podcasts. Um, and of course, you can check out my book. And I didn't mention that Stephen's books are both on amazon.com. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so check it out, have fun. I hope you, I hope you learned some lessons here that will help you along the way so that you can enjoy your journey. Thank you.